Hello, and welcome to the Old Man Orange Podcast. I'm Spencer Scott Holmes. And I'm Ryan Dunnigan. And this is that time period where, you know, there's only been so many Tarantino movies that have ever kind of come out, and I count them all. I count even the ones that he just wrote. That, to me, is still a Tarantino movie. But um, we get Once Upon a Time in Hollywood here, and um, really, it's like, I feel like there's no... In a sense, there's no director out there that I can imagine, like, looking more forward to than a new Tarantino Because no matter what, you always know you're in for some type of treat, and you're in for something that's going to be unlike anything else you've ever seen, you know? And that's the one thing they can all be living. Because I like to say, like, you know, Steven Spielberg is kind of like that one where, like, you're generally guaranteed really good stuff. And maybe I'll say this. Probably if, like, you were, like, in the 80s going to movie theaters and so on, you'd be like, shit. Dude, Steven Spielberg, dude, doesn't matter what he turns out. You don't know what it's going to be next. It's going to be fucking amazing. You know, I, I can see that being kind of it. And not saying, you know, Steven does great movies nowadays, but you know what I mean? It's not, they're not like that same, like, oh, shit, here's a Jurassic Park. Here's an Indiana Jones. You know what I mean? Here's fucking, you know, Jaws or 1941. I'm going to go for a strange one there. Well, I think the whole thing with Quentin Tarantino is... He's got nine movies, and that sounds about standard for a lot of directors. The thing is, someone like Spielberg or Scorsese, they have a movie every year to two years, it seems, where there's that period where Tarantino didn't put something out for, I think, like, from Jackie Brown to Kill Bill. And I think Jackie Brown was, like, 97 or 98, and Kill Bill was 2003 or 2004. So he had that big, long stint where he wasn't putting out any movies or directing any movies, and then on top of that, they only they still don't come out like every two years, like you think by this point. So I think it's one of those things where when a movie by Spielberg comes out, we're kind of spoiled because it's like, oh well, if this one didn't do good, he'll probably get he'll probably knock the next one out of the park because you know we only get these we get these like every other year it seems or every year. And Tarantino, it's like, oh, we might not get one of these for a while, and he's talking about quitting. And I don't know if this is his final movie, but I think he said he might have one or two more in him. Yeah, well, it's kind of weird because it's like, he says this is nine, but I guess obviously that means that Kill Bill's one movie, not two movies. I guess that's the way you use it, Because if you count Kill Bill as two of them, that's ten movies. And then I always say, I I don't give a fuck what anybody else says, True Romance and Natural Born Killers. I mean, they're they're as Tarantino as fuck. They just have a different director. That's about the only difference. And I love those two movies, like, so much anyway, so I don't like to take those out of the equation. But, I mean, I, I get it for where Tarantino's coming. He's like, yeah, I didn't fucking direct those. I sold those off so I could pay for Reservoir Dogs. Well, there was that point where his name, he just put out a couple of scripts and they sold them. And then, like, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction were doing good. So, they're like, oh, oh, yeah, f- make this, make this. Like, from Dust Till Dawn. I don't know what the fuck it is. Go ahead, make it. They're like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, what? There's vampires. Like, does his other stuff have vampires? No. What the <laughs> fuck is going on? And they just made it anyway. Well, I think that's the thing, too, is, like, because a lot of those was spent, from Dust Till Dawn's a perfect example, because that movie was, like, so billed as, like, dude, it's Tarantino's next epic, and not only that, he stars in it, and he's brothers of George Clooney, you know what I mean? It's just, it's like, he's going to town, and it's just, like, everybody was expecting, like, Pulp Fiction, too, and then it's, like, halfway into that movie, there's fucking vampires and shit. And it's in Mexico, and it's, like, everything that, like, I guess, like, a producer wanted was not there. Well, when you see that movie, it starts off feeling like a Tarantino movie, maybe a little bit more stylish in some ways, because you have these guys who are, you know, they're they're not, like, they're not, um, they're not super slick, but they are in suits, and they are in this badass car, and they're, you know, killers going down the road on the run from the law, and they're trying to look cool, 
But then suddenly it's like, okay, this doesn't seem entirely like other stuff, but I can see how his hand is in this, especially just making references. Like, I don't want to turn this place into the fucking wild bunch, but you might make me do that. You know, like those kind of lines. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but then you get to like the halfway point and everyone turns into vampires. And that's where I think people say like Kill Bill seemed like out of left field because suddenly it went to this weird genre uh, I mean, black I mean, you know, um, Jackie Brown was quasi John with the whole black exploitation thing, but Kill Bill went like crazy, you know, like musical references from like you know just cues from old TV shows, trying to make a stylized kung fu movie that was super violent, super th throwback to all this Japanese cinema and Hong Kong cinema. So I think out of that, people are like, wait, what the fuck? I thought this is a guy that did Pulp Fiction. Like, well, you can kind of see the early, you can see the the seeds being planted for this, say going back to like something like From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, I think it's that thing. I don't know what it is. I, I guess some people started, like, you know, pigeonholing him right off the bat to being like, oh, he's the guy who does the gangster movies, you know? He's like the like next... the weird, classy kind of gangster movie, sort of. Yeah, he's like the next Martin Scorsese, you know? And I think that's it. And then it's like, the fucking vampire stuff? And then he does the, the serial killer movie? Like, what the fuck was that? And then it had all those trippy Jim Morrison scenes where it's like it had Oliver Stone directed it. Well, yeah, that makes fucking sense. And it's just like it threw people off in such a weird way. But um, I don't care what it is. Pretty much, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever Tarantino movie it is, it's always like, there's something special about each one. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like, he's the kind of director, like, I always look at, like, Death Proof is probably my least favorite of them all, but that is not saying that, that movie does not have some amazing fucking scenes in that film. It's like, there's still tons of great takeaway stuff from that one. I just think as far as everything's combined together, that one right there just is, that, that one always, always held the low bar, like, the whole time. Like, Nothing's even seemed to get close to it. It's just kind of like, oh, there's Death Proof there to kind of keep it there. But I'm not, once again, I'm saying that there's still tons of great stuff in there. You got Kurt Russell, and, you know, you got fucking great car scenes and real cars chasing other real cars, no special effects. Yeah, Death Proof, it's one of those things, like, I got mixed feelings on that one. I like Death Proof, and I own every one of his movies, but that's the only, that, that one's definitely his weakest movie, and it's because, you know, the first group of people you meet, you generally like, and then they all die off. And that's kind of like a ballsy choice, but still, I think he was trying to catch people off guard. I mean, I generally like everybody in that first group. And then you get to the second group, and I know you don't like a majority of them, but, like, I don't dislike them, but I don't like them nearly as much as the first group. And this is the group that gets away and survives, and it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, it, but the car action was totally awesome, so... It's one of those things, like, I get it, but at the exact same time, I'm also kind of like... I mean, I guess he, he was intentionally trying to make it seem a little weird and obscure because it's a, which, because it's a, you know, a Grindhouse movie. Yeah, it's that, and I think really the biggest part about that movie, I think that always gets me, is it has, like, a double rise in it. Like, it, it's like a slow build-up, slow build-up, slow build-up, and then finally you get to, like, 40 minutes and there's an action scene, and then it drops right back down again, and then another slow build-up to an action scene. So it's got... I don't know, it's, it's that weird, like, two movies in one. I will say, though, it's like, I've, I've said this before, is when I saw that movie in theaters, because there were much shorter versions than, like, the ones that are on, like, DVD and Blu-ray, I almost felt like the movie was better when it was shorter, because it it was only, because, you know, the movie was only, like, an hour and 20 minutes in theaters, and it's, like, two hours on Blu-ray. So mm -hmm. I, I think that made a difference, too, because I remember walking out of the theater being, like, other than the fact that I was, like, they killed fucking Kurt Russell, who the fuck kills Kurt Russell? You know what I mean? Getting this, like, attitude of it, like, to, you know, the rest of the movie was fucking, like, oh, dude, this is actually pretty badass, and so on. And then it's, like, when I started watching it on DVD, I'm like, why does it feel like this movie drags so much? And I think that's kind of it. 
Well, I also feel like, I mean, don't get me wrong, this is going to be like, not that I think he's going to hear this, but I'm sure Quentin Tarantino, if you heard something like this, like, oh yeah, go ahead, tell me what you would do. Yeah. And like, you know, he's like a two-time Oscar winner, and, you know, the whole, the world, like, all of the film industry stops when a movie of his comes out, you know, we all got to take a day to talk about it, but, um... I almost feel like what would make that movie better, and I know this this probably goes against the formula he was setting up, but almost whether they live or die, that second group of girls, I almost think that would have been better if there was like a little bit more of a chase between Kurt Russell and those that first group of girls. Like, you know, he kills um Rose McGowan in the car, so we realize this guy's sinister. And then from there he starts chasing them down. Now whether they live or die, you know, I'm gonna go either way, but the idea of, you know, just a little bit more of a longer chase around this nasty crash and then back to the slow uh, build-up. Almost like a duel kind of thing, Steven Spielberg's duel, like where it's like yeah. a, a constant pressure after you. Yeah, I think that would be kind of... And maybe it ends with him crashing and him killing them, and then you could lead into that, uh, oh, it was an accident, I don't know, the same way how he got out of it the first time. And then go continue with the second group of girls. So. Yeah, exactly, you could do that. I mean, there, there's there's ways to go about it i mean once again i'm not gonna complain too much i just think it's just easy to kind of put that one there but you know like tarantino movies are one of those ones like it's kind of almost like sometimes i think it's always hard to pick like what's your almost favorite because there's just certain things i like about so many of them i mean i feel like as a whole like pulp fiction is kind of like the quintessential like top tier of them all i mean like you know if, if somebody tells you pulp fiction is their favorite one you kind of go yeah Sure, that that totally makes sense. You know what I mean? It's like there's nothing wrong with liking that as your number one because, I mean, it's just so dialed in. But then it's like, you know, I just always think of, like, I love Kill Bill. You know, Kill Bill's so good. You know, Django Unchained is, like, amazing. I think all of his, like, newer ones, I think that's one of the strongest ones he has. And then, like, even those other movies, too, there's, like, ones like Jackie Brown that I remember watching, you know, when it initially kind of got it. And it was like, I remember going like, it's good, but it's kind of long and so on. But every single time I watch that movie, I kid you not, it goes up farther and farther on my list. Like, it used to sit there right above, like, Death Proof. But by this point, it's definitely crossed the line of many other movies of his. And, like, I actually really like Jackie Brown, like, a lot nowadays. I don't know what it is. Like, maybe it's just, like, the hangout kind of picture of it, of just sitting around and people talking. It's got amazing conversations in it and so on. I mean, like... It's one of those movies where it's like there's not tons of action in it, and there is kind of like definitely some long scenes, but like I don't know what it is. That movie always works really well. Just, I don't know, such a cool one. Well, when I first saw Jackie Brown, that's totally when I was, I mean, you know, now everyone knows who Tarantino was. Remember in late high school, I suddenly got into Tarantino because I saw saw Kill Bill. I was like, this is fucking amazing. What else has this guy done? Then I saw Reservoir Dogs, and then I saw... Pulp Fiction, and then I was just totally amped for whatever this guy did, and then I remember for Christmas I wanted Jackie Brown, and I got it, and I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, you know, just expecting, you know, like, because even though, like, some say Pulp Fiction, even Reservoir Dogs, isn't jam-packed with action, the action that's in it is pretty brutal and pretty hard and pretty awesome, and the story itself is always pretty, you know, edge of your seat. And then you watch Jackie Brown, and it's not really that. It's probably his least violent movie. And <laughs> I guess it's, you know what it's like? It's like watching Jay and Silent Bob strike back and Mall Rats, and they being like, Mom, go get me Jersey Girl! I fucking want to party tonight! <laughs> yeah, it is something, like, drastically different. Not drastically different. I mean, it still definitely has a stamp on it, you know, just from the cast and his style and all that. But it's just, you know, violence and action-wise wasn't there. And then watching it again, though, I'm like, oh, you know, I like it. I'm not blown away by it. I, I like it, but I'm not, you know, it doesn't 
it doesn't amaze me. And then watching it again, like every time I watch it, like you, I like that movie a little bit more. And it's only kind of gone up for me. And now that's probably, I mean, it's hard for me to rake. There's a point where when I, you know, when you're younger, you kind of keep a list. Like, this is my number one movie. This <laughs> is my like, number two. Pull it out of your back pocket. No matter where you are, you fucking have it. What about Spielberg? Oh, let me go to page 12. For Spielberg, <laughs> my number one. Yeah. And then, and then like, uh, like number one, Saving Private Ryan. Number two, E.T. What? That's a jump. Yeah, I know. Moving on. But, but now it's like, uh, now I, th- I think it's one of those things where, where I, I can't, I mean, I, I might know my number one movie or like, oh, I like these two or these three pretty evenly. It's kind of hard for me to say. Now, number one is Pulp Fiction. I think it's always going to be that. But Jackie Brown has definitely moved from like, you know, number like you know lower part to like top three somewhere and um going forward to um once upon a time in hollywood so we're gonna talk about this movie as if you already saw it folks so lots of spoilers ahead um i'm gonna say even though it it, it's kind of like a combination of a lot of different things he's done both styly and artistically but i think this pulls from jackie brown because he's trying to have a bit of a hangout picture for a while of it yeah, well, that was the thing. When watching this movie, that was the first vibe I sort of kind of got. I'm like, do you know what? And I bet you this will be like a Jackie Brown that, like, you know, the more you watch it, the more you'll probably dig it. You know, maybe not as much as Jackie Brown, but, like, because this is one of those ones, like, I had a great time in it. I mean, there's, granted, there's kind of barely any action in it, but whenever there is action, it is so badass and so awesome. You know, it's one of those kind of pictures. But it is really well, just totally a I'll, I'll say movie. this. It's one of those movies that, like, I liked it. I wasn't blown away by it, but that's how I... Oh, shit, the cute voice went away. Whose voice went away? Oh, okay, for a second, the thing just started boop, boop, that Skype thing. So I don't know if I talked over you or not. Um, uh, did I? Nope, not my end. I'm all golden. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's one of those things, like, I hope the more I see this movie, the more I think about it, I like it. And I like it right now. I'm not in love with it. This is probably one of the lower tier movies of his for me, personally. And once again, that's not a bad movie. I mean, it sits above Death Proof. I don't know if it sits above Inglorious Bastards or not. But this is definitely a movie worth seeing. I think it's one of those things. There's the hangout scenes that definitely work. And basically, whenever Brad Pitt or Leo DiCaprio are on screen... It is really fun and engaging. And I know he was trying to come at it with an artistic angle for Sharon Tate's, for all the Sharon Tate stuff. But in the long run, it felt kind of boring because the Sharon Tate stuff, I guess it was partially meant to be out of respect for her. But at the same time, it was also meant to be this idea of um, she's, I put it, she's like, um, it's just a common, chill day for her. But then it comes this. You're expecting like this, oh no, oh no. And then it's like, oh, it's a bait and switch. So all that stuff we saw her going about her day and everything's kind of chill and calm. It felt kind of like there's something else that could have been going on there. That's more time we could have spent with other characters. Like maybe she she could have been this presence that was there. Like seeing her on billboards or hearing about her in the news. And like, oh God, she's next to me. She's having another pool party, this bullshit. But then, you know. Yeah, well, you know what it kind of – those scenes, do you know what they, you know how they kind of come across? They remind me like almost like, okay, say if like you and a buddy were making a movie and then like the buddy is like, dude, I'm going to have my girlfriend in the movie. Be like, well, I, 
you don't want to have your girlfriend in the movie. What are you doing? He's like, Joe, I want to get my girlfriend in the movie. Like, what's fucking wrong with that? And then he almost, like, spends, like, too much time just focusing on shots of her fucking, like, wearing goofy glasses and dancing and fucking having her feet up at the movie theaters and stuff. He's like, dude, what? Oh, this is so many foot shots. Like, he just dives in on the foot shots in this movie. (laughs) He really does. And, uh, I mean, there's even one part, like, where I remember, like, with, like, it's later in the movie, but like where the hippie chick puts her feet on like the window, like I felt like I jumped. <laughs> I was like, oh, whoa, <laughs> god, it was like grotesque. She has those dirty hippie feet. Yeah, yeah I was just like, huh, get those off, get those off Leo's window. <laughs> he pays Brad Pitt good money <laughs> to take care of that car. Damn it. Well, maybe not that good of money. We saw we saw how Brad lives, but um, well, he just seems but, happy. But that's almost like how those kind of scenes came across to me. Is like they they sort of felt like I mean, I, like I, as I said, like I, I saw what they're going for, and I think it's the same thing you were kind of saying there. But they did almost have that where, like, yeah, like a guy, like a director was almost just focusing too much, like, on, like, his girlfriend and, like, spending all this time for, like, almost, you would say, like, unnecessary scenes. Like, okay, we, we sort of got it by now and you're, you're, you're still going. Oh, he, he's still going. He's not stopping. You know what I mean? Because that's just, like, how her stuff was. And, I mean, like, as I said, I think it was supposed to be, like, oh, here's this bubbly, you know, actress, you know, just free-loving, like, hippie, just hanging out with fucking directors and all that stuff with, like, not a care in the world kind of attitude, you know? Yeah, well, I also feel like that whole thing with um, the reason they're focusing so much on on Sharon Tate is be- – I think it's two things. First off, Tarantino said uh, – actually, listen, I was looking for a lot of interviews with Tarantino and different cast members. And apparently his whole thing is he wanted to show – he wanted to have an emphasis on this young woman who was feeling optimistic and everything was going good for her because her career is just taking off. She's married to Roman Polanski before all the, you know, allegation shit before, you know, it was just this building up to like, oh, wow, I think everything's going to be awesome. In the back of your head, you're like, man, I'm glad she's having a nice day and everything's going pretty chill, but this shit's not going to end well. But at the same time, it's a Tarantino movie. So you're like, well, who knows? They might just do some inglorious bastard shit at the end. They just might do that. And watching it, it's as it goes on, it's one of those things where when you get to the ending and you see that she really had nothing to do, they're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. You stopped it. Good. You know, it's more like, okay, we're happy for her. But in, in that case, why'd we spend so much time for her if she was just kind of, I mean, I guess that's going into the aspect. It's just kind of funny because my girlfriend, she's Dutch and she knows about the Manson murders, but she doesn't really know. I, I guess in the Netherlands, it's not as prevalent as it was here. So <laughs> well, it's not like in. that thing is being like a kid. It's being like, you know, like you'd be watching the news be like, so what's, what's Charles Manson up to? Let's go find out today. That seemed like what it always was like every like six months. <laughs> Oh, old Chucky's got a swastika. <laughs> okay, moving on. We'll get back to you in like a year. All right. Yeah. And uh, apparently he wrote a song for Guns N' Roses. Okay, yeah, moving so on. Can't complain there, I guess. But um, <laughs> but then is it well? But then like um, so she didn't really know all the stuff about it. So there was a moment where she, she kind of like after the fact, like you know, I was I knew that like this movie was pulling from some real life stuff, and I knew of the Sharon Tate. But then, like, oh, I, it, it hit me later. They're like, oh, wait, these guys are that cult. This is the thing. She was kind of, like, piecing it all together after the fact. Because she didn't know all the details. This is things she heard about. So when they're getting up to the... When they're going up to the um, CeeLo Drive or whatever it is. And, like, oh, okay. Because once once um, um, Ethan Hawke's daughter runs away and drives off, that's the minute where I'm like, oh, this can do some inglorious bastards shit. Because she didn't do that in real life. Yeah, exactly. Once it kind of changes right there. 
Well, that's almost an interesting way to go about it. It's almost like if you watch this without really knowing the story whatsoever. I mean, that might also confuse you historically, but uh, beyond that, though, it'd be, it'd be an interesting movie just not knowing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It just going into it super fresh. And it's one of those things, just to clarify, just so, you know, she knows of, like, she knew of Sharon Tate and she knew of the Charles Manson, but she, the stuff wasn't as <clears throat> prevalent over there. So for that, it was the na- not all the names were clicking right away as the movie was rattling off. She's like, oh, that guy, this guy, okay. So I guess that would be an interesting context. But out of that, though, still, I think all this stuff with um, Sharon Tate lasted longer than need to, but I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to show her a day in the life and give her kind of, like, a nice lazy Sunday or whatever. We go see a movie, does some errands and everything's looking good for her. It doesn't seem like a bad day, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, but, um, and then it's like, you, you get to, well, I mean, I'm going to say Brad Pitt stuff's like the best stuff. I mean, there, there's some, I don't know what it is. Like Brad Pitt's the guy that it, he could be in a movie. That's not even like that great of a movie, but his scenes will be like four out of four. Amazing. Like, you know, I use like, um, bird after reading as that example. He's only in three fucking scenes in that entire movie. But they're like so good as scenes, you know, and it's kind of like Brad Pitt in this movie is just an, it's just another example. It's like, I don't know what it is. You throw Brad in something, you know, because I'll, I'll say it's like Leo's kind of like the super actor, but Brad's like the guy who just like can just make a scene just so amazing. So amazing. You know what I mean? It's just like, and I think by combining them, the two together is just like the, like the most winning combo you could possibly have. Like, I don't even know what better you know, acting duo you can have than Brad Pitt and Leo in a movie, like, at this moment, you know? Well, that's the thing about it. It, it once again, fitting, because the star's Brad Pitt gave me some Inglorious Bastards vibes, because I'm going to say this. Two of his best characters he's ever written is Lieutenant Aldo Ray and Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And even though Cliff Booth is utilized a lot more... He, you, you want to see more of him. You want to see more of him just like you want to see more of Aldo Ray. And it's one of those things where I'm just like, God damn it, I wish you just showed more of him. And I know I'd be fine with a movie of like Cliff Booth on his adventures, just doing whatever he wants to do. And Rick Dalton, even though he was a little bit of a fuck up and kind of self-pitying and all that kind of stuff, this guy on the da- on, on the low times, he was still just fun to watch just because he was like this Leo DiCaprio just playing a lovable fuck up kind of in some way. Yeah, well, no, that's the thing. Is that, that really works out well, but I totally agree with you, dude. If Brad Pitt's character... I could take three hours of just that character's life. You know what I mean? Like, I, you could just minus out everything else and have it only focus on Brad Pitt's character. Sold. Sold. And, and I'm not saying that's the, like, the, the Leo stuff's still great, but that's the thing, though. It's like the Brad Pitt stuff is just almost, like, amazing. Like, and it's that kind of thing... Like, when they... I like when the Leo and Brad are kind of together. When they sort of do the thing where, like, they split up... You know what I mean? I mean? Obviously, the Brad Pitt stuff's still really amazing. And the Leo stuff's still good, but that kind of... It goes into more like this just very actor's-actor type movie th- part. And it's like, it's still cool, but it's not as cool as fucking Brad Pitt stuff. Well, the whole thing with Brad Pitt stuff is because with Leo, you're just seeing this dude kind of have a meltdown and trying to get through and trying to, like, ups and downs of a day of, like, a struggling actor. And that one is much more of kind of, like actor porn to a certain extent like it's kind of like do you really like performances do you really like long lingering dialogue and all that and i'll say this the reason why i think all leo stuff because there are moments when it's showing leo's day and it shows him on the set he's kind of awkward and they you know he's this old cowboy actor from the 50s who hasn't really changed with the times so when they come in he's just like look we know you had your own show but we, we, he's gotten to this point where he's pigeonholed as a guest star on different shows as a villain 
And when they say to him, like, yeah, we think making you look kind of like a dirty hippie kind of vibe, he's just like, what? Because <laughs> it's just like, that's, he hates hippies. So the idea that, you know, they're making him look like, um, like uh, Dennis Hopper and Easy Rider, and they're just saying that, like, and he's not liking it. And then you're watching the scene go, and apparently, this is like uh, Tarantino just showing off stuff he loves and no one else knows about, because Lancer, I just assumed that was a made-up show, and all those actors and on the stage are made-up people, like Timothy Olyphant's uh, character and Luke Perry's character, mm-hmm. but those are real actors from a TV show that like got canceled after like one or two seasons, and Tarantino, I guess, really liked the show and really just wanted to have... like. An homage to that, and what was so good about that is you're just watching this guy. Like I was kind of enveloped, not into like, oh, this is a guy acting. I was kind of enveloped in this western. Like, what's happening in this western right now? And just being kind of like, because I love westerns, a lot of like you know wordy westerns. And then like all of a sudden he fucks up his line. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like you're, all this tension is just building. Like, what's gonna happen in this fucking movie? Like, oh, that's right, we're watching a movie in a movie right now. Yeah, no, I, I still think that stuff's really cool because it is like you do get sucked into it and you almost kind of forget. That you're watching a movie about people acting, and they're shooting at western and everything like that, and it is kind of cool. And dude, and Leo does just like kill it in that scene and so on. But I like just watching how he is. He just kind of fucks up and then like messes lines up, and then he goes into like his like trailer, just just starts like throwing shit and so on. Be like, dude, you're full on meltdown. Yeah, but then he like he kind of fixes himself in the whole process. He has like a meltdown, talks himself out. You're not drinking anymore. You're not drinking. You're not gonna do this. You're gonna be fucking serious. You're gonna know your lines. You know your lines. You're better than this. And I like has an abrupt cup cup of him just chugging alcohol right after he says that. Well, then he but then he tosses it outside. Yeah, he's like, no, 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 you're not gonna do this. And then um, I, and I also just like too because like even Brad Pitt because Brad Pitt's like his stunt double and so on. And as time has kind of gone on, like since Leo's getting less and less roles, Brad doesn't get any stunt jobs anymore. So now he's just like the guy who just drives him around and does like random ass tasks for him and so on. But he's almost like the greatest best friend ever because. Literally, it's like one of those ones, like, you know, there, there'd be a lot of other people that would have been, like, bitching and moaning about because they're not getting as much stuff. And Brad's just grateful to be there. You know what I mean? He's just grateful to help on out. You know what? I mean, if I get a couple stunt works here and there, that would be awesome. But if not, that's okay. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll help Leo out. You know, even if Leo lives in a nice house in the Hollywood Hills, then when Brad has to drive, like, an hour away to go live in, like, a fucking bat, drunk Batman-like trailer out behind a movie theater... You Making know? macaroni and cheese for breakfast, for dinner. <laughs> dinner. Right out of the pot. With, with, like, his pit bull and everything. And, like, I don't know. It's just, like, like that scene right there where Brad Pitt just goes home. And I love how, like, they really focus on the drive. Like, they spend some good time on the drive to really get across, like, how fucking long he has to actually drive away from Leo. And it's that kind of thing. It's an interesting thing because it's, like, you see, like, Brad's life. And it's, like, I feel like Leo's character is almost so oblivious that if he really knew that that's how Brad Pitt lived, he would probably try to do something to make it better. But it's almost like he's so stuck in his own world that he just he doesn't question it ever, never comes across his mind, and Brad never brings it up. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. I like that a lot, where he's just like the super best friend who's just like optimistically like, you know what, I'm fine with just like whatever I got, that works. I think he's fine with that because he's probably somebody like, you know what, I can walk down a street – and, you know, people don't recognize me right off the bat or anything like that. And on top of that, you know, my best friend is, you know, a famous actor. So I got to go hang out at his place. So it's all worth it. Whatever. I'm, I'm more into the rough and tumble stuff. I don't need to, I don't like memorizing lines and all that kind of bullshit, you know. I, and he's just like the total, like you said, he makes 
living in a trailer, eating macaroni and cheese, watching a beat up black and white TV. He makes that look like that doesn't look so bad. <laughs> it almost reminds me. It's like a mixture of two Brad's. It's like you got old school, like hillbilly Brad Pitt, like from like California, like that kind of era. But instead of being like a crazy lunatic, like redneck, it's like you get like the happy, optimistic, cheerful Brad Pitt that just seems like the coolest guy in the world. You know what I mean? So you combine those two to sort of together, and that's just like, oh, it's, it's so amazing. Well, when he goes to the Manson um, farm, oh, and there's that one dirty hippie who, <laughs> who like, knifes the uh, tire, he's like, you're going to fix it. Like, what? It's like, you're going to fix it. I'm like, fuck you, man. No, I'm not. You pig just punches him out, and he's just like, ladies, if you step near me, I will kick all his fucking teeth in. And then he says, get up and fix it. Like, <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. Well, that scene right there, but, like, even before that and so on, like, that part's so cool when they go out to, like, the old film site and there's all the dirty fucking hippies out there and so on. Like, you know, here's the thing. There's good hippies out there, but it's hippies, like, it's those kind of hippies that, like, nobody fucking likes. You know what I well, mean? Well, it's the, it's the, mur- the murdery kind of hippies that no one really well, likes. Well, yeah. it has nothing to do with murder. It's, the, it's just those... It's that kind of hippies where, like... They feel like they're doing, like, a good cause, but they're probably putting absolutely no real effort in it. They're paying no fucking taxes. And that kind of thing where it's like, cars are bad, but I'm still going to hitchhike because I don't want the fucking responsibility. And I don't want, like, you know, the ownership of something and having to take care of it. But if, I, you know, if I'm not putting gas in it, it's not a big deal. But if I'm still using the car to go somewhere, it's like, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. Like, it's like, no, 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 you're just fucking lazy. You're just, like, an overgrown child doesn't want to grow up. But that scene, though, when they go there and it's, you know, I love how it, it feels like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That, that's how it comes across. Is like, almost like, you know, if the Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of just had, like, you know, out in the woods, kind of like redneck type people, this is like that same thing, but just do it as hippies, and you just kind of realize it's like, it ain't that fucking different. These hippies are gross and dirty, and you could just feel the nastiness there, and the untrustworthiness, and the uneducatedness of them, and just almost like Brad Pitt being there going like, well, you know, I used to work, I used to shoot movies out here, you know, we used to do horse riding. Is old George inside, and everybody's kind of looking at him like, get the fuck out of here, you know, nobody knows who's, yeah, George is here, but he's taking a nap, and it's just that tension that's in there and everything. Well, the thing about a lot of that, a lot of that's true, because... That guy was running a ranch, and he was getting to this point where people weren't coming to shoot westerns as much, and then he was getting old and senile, and he was losing his sight. So Manson came by and says, yo, uh, we will do yard work for you, and you can fuck all the women you want. You don't got to worry about anything else. He's like, done, you know, (laughs) and out of that, you see, like, that, that. I didn't know that going into the movie. But uh, looking into it um, after the fact, like, oh, wow, they got that. And, you know, there's some people there that were, like, made up, I'm assuming. Like, I'm assuming the Margaret Qualley character, Pussycat, I'm assuming she wasn't real. Maybe she was. But, you know, you had the Dakota Fanning character, Squeaky or whatever her name was. Mm-hmm. And, and Kevin I'm not Smith's lie. daughter. Kevin Smith's daughter was just kind of, I think she was just more or less there in the background. I'm not sure if she was one of the, she, had she a, really She did. had a couple lines. Yeah, I think she, yeah. Fro- uh, Froggy, yeah. Yeah, Fro- and, um, Froggy. God. <laughs> it's like you hear those names it's like it's so hard to like when you think about like people seriously at one point in time like were fucking calling themselves this and this was like how they were gonna live their life it's just so funny when you think about it well it's like happy cappy angel butterfly sundance tadpole blue delilah froggy snake lulu clem sadie they're all these names and then 
I think this is some one of them still. Katie, and then Gypsy, who is played by Lena Dunham. So I, I think by this point, they were all people that were like, I think that's, I don't know if all those guys were real. I mean, some of them were definitely, but I don't know if all of them were. But they're like, how, like all right, let's just get all the dirty hippies categorized in one section right here on IMDb. But um, uh, the whole thing with that was, that scene, when he goes there, you're just expecting the worst. Like, I wasn't like, all right, it's a Tarantino movie. Shit can go bad at any moment. So when he's there and all this tension is building up, that's where I'm like, I'm not going to lie. It was like kind of that inglorious bastards level, kind of like they're in the basement kind of scene, you know? Or that uh, scene in um, Pulp Fiction at the very beginning when he's just like, Brad, you're a smart motherfucker. You know, like, are they going to get out of this alive or are they just going to kill everybody in this room? Yeah, exactly. And then, like, just knowing that Brad Pitt can die from other movies, it's like you get kind of scared now. You know what I mean? You, you have a little bit of a fear for Brad, you know? <laughs> he's he's not like Clint Eastwood, who's always going to make it to the end. You know, it's like, whoa, 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 don't kill off Brad Pitt yet, because I always have that fear. It's like, don't kill Brad Pitt off halfway into the movie. What are you doing? And then it's like, okay, good. They're not doing that. Burn after reading. Well, burn after reading. I mean, every so often, Tarantino throws a curveball at you by killing off, like, the entire main cast in a movie like death proof which he doesn't do too often or he'll like all right well we're gonna kill john travolta right here but it's okay you're gonna get him again at the last like 30 minutes of the movie because we're gonna do a flashback so don't worry about that either but yeah i guess there is a little bit more of like anything could happen i didn't think he was gonna die but i thought maybe some shit was gonna go down because dakota fanning for being a dirty hippie she was pretty intimidating <laughs> Yeah, she she was just like as I said, it had that same like feel like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That that was like exactly like the vibe I got from that whole scene. Even that part when he's leaning in there, it's just like, tell you what, well, I came a long way and it's been a while. I just want to say hi to him. And uh you or this screen door is not stopping me. And then she just stares at him, and he looks behind him, like all this fucking army of dirty hippies behind him, like, shit, what's what's gonna happen here? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you, you learn in this movie, fucking dirty hippies can't do anything to Brad Pitt. It's like, I mean, I feel this is that movie, though, if, if somebody really fucking hates hippies, it's just a movie where, like, they will fucking be cheering like it's the fucking end of, like, a Super Bowl victory. <laughs> I feel like, even though, like, I mean, generally, I think a lot of right-wing people would probably feel mixed about Tarantino, but I know they'd like this one just because it's like, an old cowboy actor does it? Fuck Yeah. <laughs> Because I think there is just that sort of thing where it's just like, oh my gosh, it's like that—that that is so amazing, you know. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna lie. I was um, when you get to the end. I mean, we'll we'll hit a few more things before we jump to the end. But I'll say when you get to the end, I was like, I knew it was probably gonna be. I wasn't sure if it was gonna go full on like Kill Bill level violence, which it does. But I was expecting like some kind of you know stab or show, showdown. Because for a while the movie it kind of misleads you somewhat because it's this whole, it, it, it's this very toned down movie. It's almost kind of like a quasi Jackie Brown. Like this could almost just be like, you know, all the language, all, all it gets its R rating just from the language or whatever. But then you get to the end, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, it's also the violence. But for a minute, it just seems like, Oh, this is like one of the few times nobody gets shot in a Tarantino movie. Nope. never mind. Yeah. Well, cause the only action scenes that really happen in the beginning of the movie is there's one where, um, where Leo's like he's talking about his movie that pretty much is like where eagles dare and he takes this like flamethrower out like in Nazi Germany and just like roast a bunch of Nazis in it. and he's got like an eye patch on and everything like that so like there's that's like an action scene where it's like a movie in a movie part and then the other really Even that cool part when they show him testing it out and he's just like could we do something about the heat like well, cliff it's a it's a, it's, it's a 
flamethrower. Oh. <laughs> and then the only other oh, Rick, Rick. Bad, sorry. Yeah, the only other action scene that is actually pure amazing, and I wish there was more of this. And it's, but it's almost such a magical thing that you can almost say is there's the Brad Pitt versus Bruce Lee scene. It's something you never thought you'd be able to say in life, but um, you get one of those in this movie. Well, I like that because even though I like Bruce Lee a lot, I can totally see him mouthing off and talking about because that's this is when he was like. He was coming up on top. He's probably the only Asian guy on TV, and he knew not many people could take him on, so he'd be talking shit about, like, whatever. And even though I love Bruce Lee, Brad Pitt's, like, you know, I, I guarantee you, the people he's naming off are probably real, like, stuntmen that Tarantino know to, knows about through, like, different movies, because he just keeps track of movies on every level. So, when he says, like, oh, well, that, I think that stuntman can kick the fuck out of you. Like, oh, are we... And then, like, Bruce Lee's just like, let's have a friendly competition... Nothing to the face. Whoever gets knocked down three times wins. All right. And they're like, all right. First time Bruce. First time it go, first person who goes down is a kick from Bruce Lee. Brett, Brad Pitt goes down, and then Brad Pitt throws Bruce into the side of a car, <laughs> denting it. And then like and then like Kurt Russell comes and breaks up the fight. He says, Whoa, "Well, what Zoe Bell comes out." Oh yeah, Zoe Bell comes out. She's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" He's just like, "He's kicking the shit out of Bruce." Like, "No, no, no, no! He didn't kick the shit out of me. It's just a friendly match." It's <laughs> what happened. He's kicking the shit out of Bruce. Nobody kicked the shit out of Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just like, "What the fuck happened to my car?" Because <laughs> before then, there's like they keep on talking about what happened on Green Hornet, and what they do is they do an interesting continuity thing with that scene. At least I, I, I didn't realize at the time. Um, for a minute, I almost thought that, like, we are jumping to a different day. Because Brad Pitt's on top of a roof, fixing a TV antenna. And then we just cut to something else. You get Brad Pitt his shirt off on top of a roof, fixing a TV antenna. <laughs> yeah, you can just have that as a wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, it goes next to, like, your Legend of the Fall sexy Brad Pitt poster. <laughs> hey, man, it's it's just something to aspire to, even though you know deep down you'll never reach it. But <laughs> It's okay, you gotta, you gotta have those dreams. People might scream, that's gay! Like, I don't give a shit, it's Brad Pitt with his shirt off, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, that's all man, We right should there. all reach, we should all aspire to that someday. That... He's like, what, in his fucking 50s, and he looks like that? Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I want to say Daniel Tosh even has like a great joke. He says, like, he's talking about, like, Brad Pitt and um, David Beckham fucking. He's just like... I want to let you know, it, like, just because, like, just because you're imagining Brad Pitt and David Beckham fucking, that doesn't make you gay. That makes you a regular person. <laughs> that is fucking art. <laughs> oh, that's funny. As a matter of fact, if you don't get just a little hard thinking about that, you're fucking gay. <laughs> the, the gay test. Yeah, I just thought that was funny. I just, yeah. I know way you can get away with that joke now, but no, nowadays it yeah they wouldn't let you. But that's okay. You can still have your sexy Brad Pitt poster from 1995. No one's gonna stop you there. Yeah, but um, what was I saying? Um, oh yeah. So he's think so it looks like you're just jumping to a different scene because before they mentioned several times that like oh yeah he doesn't he you know he apparently might have killed his wife with a harpoon gun apparently <laughs> and. <laughs> Also, that, like, you know, because of that, people don't want to work with him. And then we cut to this scene, like, okay, so I guess that this is him getting a second shot right here. And then every so often they mention, like, oh, what happened on Green Hornet? It's like, oh, okay, I guess he's working on Green Hornet again. And then after all this shit goes down that we talked about previously, you then realize that it's like, oh, oh, that was just a fucking flashback? That's how it happened? You thought you were watching a new scene. Huh, I didn't really think of it like that. 
I didn't know about for way I, I didn't take it as a flashback when I first saw it. Maybe I missed like a part of it, but I oh, I, I, I guess it makes sense because yeah, because he he just it's a long. He's just up there on that roof and he just kind of has that like thinking moment, and then it just it goes on for so long that you forget about Brad Pitt being up on the roof until it goes back to that. And I thought it was like we just went on to like we. I thought we just cut to a different scene. That's what I thought that was. I didn't think that it was like I thought we were like the next day or later that day or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But it's almost like there's these, these little, like, because they don't give you a whole lot of Brad Pitt's, like, kind of backstory. You just get these little tidbits, and you kind of wish there was, like, more of it to kind of, well, you just want more Brad Pitt scenes anyways. Why not? Well, I don't even think that, to be honest, I don't even think he killed his wife. I don't think he feels bad about it, because she looked like a bitch. Because there's this part where it shows them on a boat, and she's just complaining and bitching about everything. She looks kind of like a welch, and he's just sitting there with, like, a harpoon gun while she's just complaining, and they just cuts away, and you don't see or hear anything, but... It's one of those things where, like, I don't think he killed her. I, I could see the thing accidentally going off or whatever, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, well, kind of got out of that, whatever. Yeah, that or she fell off the boat. See, it's like it, it never, like, does anything to really say just because he he was down there, like, you know, scuba diving, so he's just spearfishing. So in a sense, like, that, it almost has nothing to do with, like, that could be it, you know. I mean, I know it leads it there to think that, but, um, yeah, it's almost like anything could have happened. Just I guess because you're out on a boat, nobody knows who's there to see you. But he just, given everything else in the movie, he doesn't seem like the kind of character that would do that. Exactly. I just don't think. I just don't think he really cared that much. He's like, oh, I'm in this shitty relationship. Oh, she's dead. What a shame. Okay, whatever. I, I think it's just because he's got. He's just too optimistic of a guy that, like, if somebody died, he wouldn't be like so heartbroken. He would just be like, well, that kind of sucks, but. uh well, it's not going to ruin my day now, you know what I mean? <laughs> Time to put on the old boots and get to work. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's sort of what it's all about. That dog food's not going to pay for itself. Yeah. Or that mac and cheese I eat straight out of a pot. I know, that dog's getting better food anyway. The dog looks like he has, like, fancy kind of dog food. Well, well even the lot, even the moments he had with the dog, we're just talking to the dog, and, like, he, like, Tarantino, that, that's the kind of stuff he really shines at. Just, like, a dude and his dog, and just the dynamic he has with his dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just like those little things that you can carry. Like, it's that thing that you can carry a scene that, like, would maybe not sound the most interesting on paper, but, like, you see it, and it's like, oh, that, that works out so well. You know what I mean? I think it's just by having the right actor, having the scene, having the setup, having the character, you know, and putting it all together and, to- and you know, topping off of a, you know, cool little pit bull right there and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um... No, I will say, though, I wish there was more Bruce Lee scenes, though, in the movie. Like, that's the only thing. is like, because, you know, they kind of show Bruce Lee in, like, the trailer. So I thought, like, oh, shit, Bruce Lee's going to be, like, more of a major character. And it's like, other than that, like, one scene where he's fighting Brad Pitt, he's only in it, like, in kind of background shots and sort of, like, non-talking. Like, there's parts where it's like, now, is this real? This is what I thought. Does Bruce Lee train, like, Sharon Tate at some point? I think in real life he trained her for that movie, The Wrecking Crew. Because remember that part where she's doing a little bit of martial arts? Yeah, maybe, maybe that is true. I, di- I didn't know that. Because that was kind of like the one where I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because, you know, when you watch like these kind of Tarantino movies, you don't know, like, well, what's real and then what's, like, kind of, like, made up, sort of. Yeah, well, there's also, um, going back to Bruce, did you hear about the um, Wikipedia controversy with this movie? No, I have no, I'd never heard about that. So apparently before the movie came out, you know, Tarantino was very adamant about people not spoiling the movie. But the movie came out two months ago before its initial release at, Can- at uh, the Cannes Film Festival. And uh, some people, you know, that, that by that point a movie's free game and you could put the ending on, you could put up the synopsis on Wikipedia. 
apparently a fake ending was up on Wikipedia for a while where the ending is the uh, they go in and they take uh, Tate and all her friends hostage. They take them to the Manson compound and that's where Brad Pitt's Bruce Lee and um, and Leo DiCaprio all go in after him, and they have this very Django Unchained style bloody shootout kung fu thing. <laughs> he teaches, you know, because think about it, like it's like part of me is like I can see Tarantino doing that, but then I'm also thinking like apparently then Tate was also doing martial arts too. At that point, she was super fucking like eight months pregnant or whatever. I'm like, how are you gonna? Yeah, no. And um, anyway, and then it ends with uh, apparently Rick Dalton getting shot and bleeding out, and you know, but he died, you know, helping helping save Sharon Tate. So, but that didn't happen. So. That was just one of those things, like, Wikipedia, like, had that on there for, like, a few weeks before the movie came out. Huh. That's interesting. I I, I almost would like just to see that as, like, an alternate ending just to see it, to see it. Because I do like the ending that we have, but, like, the second that you add Bruce Lee in there, it kind of is like, well, shit. I wish Bruce Lee just almost somehow, some way stumbled into the fucking ending scene of this anyways. Just why not? You know, mm-hmm. Bruce Lee only makes everything better in life. Now, I think one of the reasons why the movie, because what ends up happening is... For a while, uh, Rick Rick Dalton, Leo DiCaprio's character, doesn't. He's like, we want you to go to Italy and become an Italian, like uh, like a uh, like a spaghetti western star. He's like, like fuck that shit. Those aren't real westerns. Have you seen them? They're dog shit. How many have you seen? Well, I've, I've seen enough. I've seen enough. Another shit. All right. And then he ends up going with it because he's like, oh, God, you know, I'm struggling. And then he just goes over there. And even though he's like not as doing as well as he did, he's doing all right. Walked away with a wife, and he says to Brad Pitt, "Like, yo, man, look, I, don't, I can't keep hiring you for everything, and we can still be friends, but I just can't keep having you. I don't have the money for this anymore." He's like, oh, "It's okay, buddy. We'll just have a couple of drinks when we get back." So, and when they get back, though, it's like that whole scene when they, because like earlier on in the movie, uh, the Margaret Quayley character gives Brad Pitt an acid-dipped cigarette. Mm-hmm. And then from there, when they're just hanging out at their place, he's like, you know what? I'm going to light this thing and just see what happens. <laughs> he just goes walking <laughs> his dog on acid. And the end of that movie is totally as violent as it is, and you're just kind of expecting the worst. Mm-hmm. It's actually, It becomes a full-on, like, just very, like, bloody comedy. Yeah, no, that is kind of true. Well, one thing I want to say before, since you kind of said it in there, is... You know, like, Leo's character just says, like, how he hates, like, spaghetti westerns and so on? Because the interesting sort of thing is, is that, because it's like, it's almost like, oh, like, nowadays, if somebody said that, it's, like, such a weird statement to be like, oh, I fucking hate the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's a fucking terrible film. But it's almost like one of those ones you kind of forget that there was a generation that was, like, when they saw movies like that, they're like, dude, what is this? They're ruining fucking westerns over there. Sir, you know, Sergio Leone, like, all these guys, like, the Django movie and all this stuff. Like, people fucking hated those movies. Like, like you know, you know, the kind of the, in a sense, you would say, like, the John Wayne-type fans. So I think mm-hmm. it's just interesting having him be that person who's like, no, I'm not fucking doing that. Though it's kind of like, in hindsight, we all look at spaghetti westerns, or at least the really good ones, as being, like, the high pinnacle of, like, western films. Well, plus those are ones where they started being a little bit more in some ways self-aware and started actually having a little bit more, I guess, kind of style. Like, you think about Jenga. You got a dude walking around with a coffin, and then there's a machine gun inside the coffin. And <laughs> yeah, it's so and anime the, for, like, 1966. <laughs> yeah, like, that's some comic book level shit. Like, right now it sounds like, you know what, at the moment it sounds like, oh, that sounds like something you'd see maybe in some kind of, you know, 
maybe not like some, like a John Wayne style western. But that sounds like something you'd see in your average western. And then you'll watch that and think about it back then. Like, God, that had to be some Superman level shit or some like Hobbs and Shaw type thing. Like, people are talking about like Idris Elba having superpowers and doing backflips on a motorcycle and running up the side of a building. And then you're like, that had to be that for that generation. A, a, a machine gun in a coffin? What the fuck? <laughs> well, just think about it. Like, picture your World War II grandpa fucking watching like that movie when it's coming out. Like, oh, the fuck? He's got a machine gun in a coffin? That don't make any fucking sense. We didn't even have machine guns in World War One. What's fuck? You know Why I mean? is he drugging around a fucking coffin? It's stupid. Yeah, you know what I mean? Or, or, yeah, it's like the Hobbs and Shaw thing. You know what I mean? Just like... Like, oh, my Fast and the Furious, you know, they were stealing DVD players and VHSs. <laughs> I just like the idea of someone only seeing Fast and Furious 1 and then going and seeing Hobbs and Shaw and just trying to, like, <laughs> just piece miss, it together. Missing, like, the other seven movies in between. Man, a lot fucking happened, didn't it? <laughs> That's now you got, like, a bunch of, they got a big Samoan tribe fighting with giant bones and shit, looking like the fucking Flintstones taking down a helicopter. <laughs> Speaking of Fast and Furious, I know this is kind of like off topic, but you know, um, the other day when we were down in Los Angeles area, we went to the the ending race scene where fucking um, um, Dom and um, what's his name? Dom and uh, Paul Walker. Paul Walker, yeah, whatever. Dom and Paul Walker. <laughs> Brian. Oh, Brian, is it Brian? Brian, that's right, Brian. Thank yeah. you, Laura. But um, yeah, whatever. Paul Walker and Vin Diesel. There we go. <laughs> we is went there to- a Paul Walker shrine there? I don't know. There's not one there, but because this is literally, it's just by like the dock areas and it's like nothing, nothing exciting looking area. But like we were taken there and it's just like, you know, from that stop sign to like to go like, you know, they're like quarter mile race or whatever. And they hop the train tracks and so on, though. There's no jump there for them to hop the train tracks. They just kind of go past it. And then we kept going, kept going. It's like, and like, boom, right there. That's where the truck comes out and hits Dom. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. It's just, just totally one of those places just. Just out, nothing. It's one of those ones where it's like it reminds me almost like you would have came out there like in like high school and been like, "Dude, you know what? There's nobody out here at this time. Let's fucking like shoot a race car scene real quick." You know what I mean? Like nobody's gonna see us. And that's when you're doing. That's when you're really in a Tarantino for the first time. So you're like, "Dude, oh, Tarantino homage is shit. He likes all the time." <laughs> exactly. Like that's what it sort of felt like. It's like for you know, you think of that being like such like a legendary scene that like you know what I mean? Like when you flip through like fucking like DVD, like kind of like behind-the-scenes stuff from, like, Universal of, like, the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. They'll, like, show that clip going by. And it's just like, oh, it's just, just this little teeny back road here. That's kind of cool, though, still. no Nobody's out here. It's just deader than all can be. Well, it's also one of those things where people just, like, I don't even think people really... <laughs> like, oh, yeah, there's four movies before Fast and Furious 4. Or, like, four movies before Fast and Furious 5. Yeah, well, there's that. Well, it's almost like there's like multiple generations of Fast and the Furious, I guess you would say. But, um, but yeah, that's what Django is. Django's the Hobbs, <laughs> the Hobbs and Shaw of fucking that time period. And then, so I guess the idea of people like, you know, Hollywood's changing, and I think Leo DiCaprio said like, you know, times are changing. He's still trying to put his hair into a pompadour, and he can't figure out what's wrong. And uh, out of that, when um, what was I going to say regarding that? It's one of those things that like. I think that the whole ending, when it goes all violent, I'm not sure if this was intentional, but 70s is when movies started to get way more edgier and way more darker. So I think that's almost meant to be like a, oh, this is where movies get way more, maybe they weren't as bloody as that back then, but 
I think it was meant to be like, okay, this is where movies get violent and where they get dark in the 70s. So maybe that was kind of, because this that takes place in 1969. Well, yeah, well, because like 68 and 69 is kind of right when you start getting those like super like hardcore violent movies that like. Writer. Yeah, like, because that's 69 and everything like that. So it's like at that time period, that's when people start making stuff like Night of the Living Dead's around that time. Like, you know, all that stuff starts coming out where it's like, oh, shit, people are just doing whatever the fuck they want. Like, you know, you get all the Italian westerns and so on like that that are super violent, too. So I think that's it almost makes sense that, like, that yeah, movie kind of yeah. goes so, like very little violence, very little violence. And then at the very end, it's just like it's the turning point. Yeah. Sorry if I almost kind of cut you off there. The sound went out and I th- it was right at the pause. So I thought you were done. So sorry you, if I spoke over you. You, right you never do. I never do. I think, it, I think it's just your side's just all weird. My side's just fucked up, yeah. They, they hate um, you over there. Yeah. It's because you got the, um, the off-brand internet. I got Sonic. You, you think the name would mean quality. It don't. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, then again, I, I don't want to go on a whole other tangent, but lately Sonic has not really been a name of quality other than Sonic Mania, so whatever. But <laughs> it's a roller coaster. It goes up and down. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it, it works, sometimes it don't. Yeah. It's you keep coming back for some reason. But um, but yeah, dude, that that ending scene though, like that to me is almost like that right there raises that movie up like so high because that's almost like one of the best endings I've ever seen like in a movie. Just about <laughs> like the ending's almost like the topper of all toppers. Like it's just and it's it's simple at the same time too. I think that's what makes it so amazing because it's literally just three fucking dirty hippies that are all like pissed off at the world because you know fucking I don't, shit because they they don't want to get a fucking job. Let's just be honest. Um, they go up there like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill the people. That we're going to kill our own idols or whatever. Well, actually, I guess we should retract. They, they show up. They're going to kill Sharon Tate and all that stuff. And this scene's just amazing because I love how Leo's like fucking making margaritas because him and Brad Pitt have been drinking all night. And they finally come back. He's fucking making a margarita. I like how his wife's asleep making fucking margaritas. And he's like, he hears this car. He's like, what the fuck is that? The fuck is that? He's looking outside. He's like, who the fuck's out there? And stuff like that. He runs out. He's like, care. He's like in a bathrobe, like fucking carrying the margarita pitcher, like yeah, like in a blender still. <laughs> and what he's the out fuck there, you like, doing? You fucking dirty hippies, you fucking easy riders, get the fuck out of here! And at first, it's almost like the hippies are actually being very calm and like, oh, I'm sorry, man, we we just got lost, you know. D- don't worry. And he's just like, you fucking reefer smoking hippies, I know what you're doing up here. And then he takes a sip of like the the margarita, which I, that that just makes me laugh so hard because it's almost that kind of thing. When, you know, when it's some older person's yelling at somebody for doing something wrong, but then they're doing just really the exact same thing, just in a different, like, drug. <laughs> well, Leo's not even, like... The thing that's funny about it is, it fits for the time, but Leo's not that old. Like, what? He's in his, like, 40s, maybe, like, early 40s, mid-40s by this point, and he's well, not really that well, old. Well, keep in mind, it's still though, back just then, funny. That would have been that, though. That, that, old, that, though. That, Fuck, like, because, you know, we, we don't... Nowadays, 40 isn't that old anymore. But, like, you look at certain other movies where, like, you see somebody who's, like, fucking 40 years old and they look like they're, like, 70 years old. Or you see, like, you know, Humphrey Bogart. Like, how old is he? Is he, like, how old is he here? Like, 68? No, he's 30. Oh, shit. Or it's, like, no one's, like, Walter Matthau. Like, that guy, it's, like, okay, like, Bad News Bears or, like, um, the Taking a Pelham 123 that we watched, like, not too long ago on mm-hmm. a retrospect series. Like, like 39. Yeah, you, you, I think he's like 52 in those movies or something like that. Or, no, no, he's <laughs> maybe 52 or 48, somewhere around there. And it's like, the fuck? He looks like he's like 75. So, yeah. like, get, like, at that time period, like, you know, Leo's character, let's just say he's like 45 or whatever or something like that. Like, he's still like 20 plus years older than these kids coming in the car, maybe even 25 mm-hmm. years older than them. 
that's like a huge jump at that time period because I think it used to be like there was just literally like a generation gap was like a massively huge where now it's like things sort of fade together. Like, you know what I mean? Like people and their parents are really not that much different anymore. And like, you know, everybody in between is kind of, kind of similar. You know, you're, you're only off by like a couple of things. Like the boy likes the song, the hedgehog. And I like the Emerson Lincoln Palmer. That, that's the differences we have. <laughs> Well, I think the whole thing with him just losing his shit, it's funny because it's Leo. I mean, it makes sense for someone his age in that time to be yelling at these fucking hippies because he's this old TV cowboy. But it's just funny seeing Leo do it, you know? (laughs) So he's just, like, so fucking belligerent. Like, I think that this is, like, one of the... Even though I'm saying this isn't a perfect movie and everything great about it is like Leo and not not that Sharon Tate not that um Margot Robbie does a bad job she just doesn't have a whole lot to do, but um, but Leo DiCaprio I think this is seriously one of the funniest roles he's ever played and you don't say that very often it's like this and Jordan Belford you know <laughs> well yeah because Jordan Belford's just like the ultimate like comedy. But like this one's one of those ones like I just like it's just like the him just yelling at him and just being like so fucking pissed off at like two you know twelve in the morning, you know what I mean? Just at these fucking hippies and this like he sends them just on- taking a quick swig of the margarita one. <laughs> <laughs> and then the vet they just drive off and they're like I, I like the part too with the one guy like fucking Tex or whatever like the main like hippie man. He's just like um. He's like, dude, was that fucking Rick? And there's like, you mean from the old Western series? Like, dude, I had that guy on my fucking lunch pail. And it's almost that kind of weird thing that, because I think that's also the other thing that you always kind of forget about, like, that 60s hippie generation, like, baby boomer stuff, is that, like, all these ones, like, they all grew up like fucking Andy Griffith kids. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. they just had this switch all at one point. Like, a hard fucking, like, left turn. You know what I mean? It's like... That, that's what makes it kind of interesting. It's not like a progressive one. Where, like, nowadays you can see a kid at, like, six years old, like, oh, he's wearing tie-dye. He's getting kind of hippie-ish. You know what I mean? Like, that didn't fucking happen. That, like, came, like, hard at, like, age 13 or 14 even. Or you just even look. Like, perfect examples, like, look at, like, fucking albums. Like, look at, like, an album from 1964 and then look at an album from 1966. It fucking, like, a band will just change just, like, drastically right there. They look like a bunch of guys in nice suits, and they look like they're trying to be kind of like the Yardbirds or like the Beatles' early albums. Then all of a sudden, everyone has long hairs and Fu Manchus, and one dude's just not wearing a shirt. He's just wearing a vest. <laughs> exactly, but he's got a fucking hairy chest. You know, you get the fucking just, it's just instantly from like happy songs to like fucking like her majesty's satanic ritual. Or what the fuck's that Rolling Stones one called? Oh, yeah, yeah. Her, her, her majesty's satanic, uh, choir or some shit like that <laughs> it's it, it somehow it came out we talked about it multiple times somehow it came out before um um, um uh, sergeant pepper's lonely uh, lonely hearts club band but for some reason it sounds like a ripoff <laughs> yeah i know it it so seems like it but maybe it's, it's that weird it's probably that thing where the beatles are like we could do this better <laughs> i i don't even think it's that i think you know they're i think just mick jagger or like <laughs> Keith Richards went and go over to Paul McCartney's house for the night and just came running back into the studio where they were all hanging out. Just like that, that thing where, Guys, I just got back. I just picture, you know that one where Butters is fucking running back to like the play to explain like what the, like the preschoolers are doing? Yeah. I just picture like Keith Richards like running in like cheap animation. <laughs> you won't believe just- what the Beatles are doing. He's all like, what, 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 what? It's like, oh, first off, we need a kazoo. 
We need some LSD. We need some wind chimes. Get a brass horn. I'm like, what, 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 what? I don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Get a whole orchestra. Somebody get a centaur. <laughs> like, I imagine that. And then, like, they jam that out, like, in a month. And then Beatles, like, oh, what's the rush? <laughs> yeah, they spend their sweet time on it and so on. And that's coming from someone who, that's coming from someone whose favorite, whose favorite band is the Stones. <laughs> and, but, you know, they can't all be winners. So. Well, yeah, like, I, I think no, nobody's going to argue that that album's better than Sgt. Pepper's. I mean, if you are, you're just, like, you're just blind faith in yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's, like, kind of... that's one of those albums that's got, like, two really good songs and then, like, eight songs of, like, I don't know what's going on music. That's what you use to impress people who <laughs> who are, like, big-time music snobs. They're looking, like, okay, eggs on Main Street. Okay, you have sticky fingers. What oh, Her Majesty, Majesty's Satanic Choir or whatever. And then just, like... You have, like, yeah, yeah, I got that one. You know, what, what now, bitch? <laughs> yeah, it definitely is that one. It's like the one where, like, you have guests over and you just put it on the background or something like that because you want to seem fucking, like, hip. You want to seem, like, kind of, like, hipsterish for a minute, maybe. You'd be, like, then, the uh, fucking Andy Warhol of the time. Yeah, or it's just, like, one of those things. It's just, like, you're going through your Who collection and something like, oh, Tommy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's different. But um, you know what's a funny thing too about like Leo's character is is he's yelling at the hippies and so on like that. But it's almost like when he goes to Italy, he gets that kind of like you almost would say like I guess it's not hippieish. I guess you would say it's more the swing in sixties style. I mean, I think it's one of those ones if you, if you ask like a ten year old kid today, they're like, yeah, they're both fucking hippies, you know. But I think there is sort of a, sometimes like a difference between those two kind of like you know looks and feel because I guess like swing in sixties. I guess like best way to say it's like all uh, like Austin Powers, but it's sort of like. You have all, like, the colorful clothes and, like, bright, vibrant stuff like a hippie, but you're all trendy and up to fashion and still part of society. You know what I mean? Like, it's that weird thing where they don't feel like they're that far apart, but they probably still kind of are. Mm -hmm. I guess sort of like like a difference between, like, a hippie and a yuppie almost in a sense, where, like, a a yuppie just always feels like a hippie that found money. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, even when all that's going on, um, when he comes back and he just suddenly has this Italian wife, like, okay, I guess... I guess she's living here now. All right, we'll just figure this out as we go along. It's <laughs> just like I came when I went there looking for a career. I came back with a wife. That's fucking weird. Yeah, I know. It's just like, well, what gonna do with Brad? Well, I guess I got to get rid of Brad. It's almost like it feels like he was like the dog, and it's just like, oh, we're having a baby, and I don't know if the baby's gonna get along with the dog. So I guess you know, well, like, we'll just let him go do his own thing. The minute they get divorced, Brad is coming and hang, hanging over a lot. Like Leo, like Rick is giving him a call like at five in the morning, like. <laughs> I fucked up. I fucked up. Like, where you at, Rick? I'll be there. <laughs> he's the ultimate best friend. Like, literally, like, there's no better best friend than Brad Pitt in this movie. He's, like, better than Alfred. <laughs> he really, that's, you know what he's kind of like? He's like your, he's like your younger, cool Alfred. And this is the thing, too, I always think about. It's, he's also, like, you know, because Brad Pitt. So, you know, what, what's Brad Pitt, do you think, to Leo? Like, maybe six years older than him? Eight years older? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, Brad Pitt's already a full-grown adult, but when, like, Leo's still a kid as far as movies go. Mm-hmm. Well, he's probably kind of like, uh, the kid is, like, not that, not that big of an age difference. He's like, oh, this guy who's just a little bit younger than me, he's trying for the stars, and I see how hard he's working for it, and I'm good at, the, I'm good at doing what I do, and he's fun to talk to. Like, I, I, I mean, I, like, all the scenes with two of them together are great. I mean, there's stuff with them, like, apart from each other is great, too. But, I mean, God, I feel kind of bad, because here I am saying, like, this movie is not as good as this movie or that movie, 
But really, it's like the only thing that's really slowing it down is just these very long Sharon Tate scenes and these scenes where it's just people driving in a car for a while. And there's one or two times where it's just like, oh, I get it. You're just trying to show how long it takes from one side of Los Angeles to the other, trying to get us endeared to the sounds of that time by playing all these old radio ads that I guarantee you are probably real and they archived them from for the just for this movie. I pulled them for the movie. But at the same time, there's so many scenes that happens for a while. I'm like, I get it, I get it, I get it. So we can probably trim that down a bit. And so I just wish it was more like, if you just kind of condense this movie to whatever's going on with Leo, whatever's going on with Brad, and then the Sharon Tate stuff, like she's just more of this presence, this kind of enigma that's sort of, I don't want to sound all art schooly, but like sort of this thing that's kind of right next door to him. He hears about her all the time. He sees parties going on, she's on billboards and all that, then I think that it would be a little smoother. But that's just me. I'm sure Quentin Tarantino would call me a fucking idiot and I don't understand it and whatever. Yeah, that's probably something like that. But um but when we get to this action scene though at the end, like and I said, it, it's almost like kinda like simple. Because it's literally it's all it is is the three dirty hippies are fucking down there and they decide that they're gonna kill all their fucking idols of like the fifties. Because they're like, the 50s taught us to kill, so we have to, like, stop the killers. Or whatever. They get, like, some stupid... like It's like that Yoko Ono-looking fucking chick in the back seat with, like, this attitude going on mm-hmm. there. So they decide to go up there, and they're gonna bust in and fucking kill Rick and so on. And in this process, like, they come in and fucking, you know, Brad Pitt, of course, just smoked the acid cigarette. You know, it is like, you know, Tex comes in, he tells me, he's like, oh, I am, I'm the devil, I'm here to take you out, whatever. He's like, he's almost like, can't really believe it, like, you fucking real? Like, what are you doing here? And so on. And there's kind of like a build-up and so on, and then the other two girls come in, and just, they just have knives, so it's really not that much of a threat. I'm like, one gun to Brad Pitt? Well, we already know who's gonna fucking win here. It's like, yeah, well, that whole scene was like, <laughs> it was just, well, because he's not even kind of like, he's like, are you real? It's just like, I'm as real as donuts, motherfucker, whatever that line is. And, you know, it even says, uh, I'm I'm the devil, I'm here to do the devil's work. Like, that's something apparently they said to um, the Emil Hirsch character, and the, the, real, the, well, the real guy, Jay uh, uh, Seberg, or Sebring, whatever his name is. Um, out of that... It was that whole scene, though, when everything just goes comical. And, like, I like how Brad just, like, smacks these guys down. Smacks all these guys down with such little ease. <laughs> to the point of, like, grabbing, like, the Dakota Fanning lady. Like, uh, uh what was her name? Uh, Squeaky. Grabbing her and just slamming her face against everything <laughs> inside the fucking house. And then, like, the, the, uh, the chick, Sadie or whatever, goes, like... After getting fucked up by the dog, yeah, because that's the Brad Pitt six the fucking pit bull out of it. It's just like it feels like for all those fucking people out there that fucking hate pit bulls, it's like take this, you fucking dirty hippies. How do you like that now, huh? Who's gonna fucking protect you? And then the fucking and then like when she goes staggering out the fucking like window with glass stuck in her face, and then Leo the whole time he's been sitting in a pool drinking a margarita with his headphones on. She lands the pool like what the fuck like that whole part, and then he just sees this lady just slamming around in the water with like a fucking knife screaming. Oh, she's shooting the she's shooting the revolver off in the air too. He's like, what the fuck? And he just runs in the garage and gets the fucking flamethrower that he got to keep after that fucking World War II movie. <laughs> I was just like, oh, what the fuck when that happened? Like, I was not expecting that shit. And it just blasted the flame. Like, it's like one of those ones, like, I was just, like, laughing so fucking hard because it's, like, like such an amazing... It's, I don't know, I, I almost say this. Tarantino has been doing this, like, in this, like, last handful of movies where he's giving you, like, the ultimate ending. 
You know what I mean? Like, this is a perfect example. Like, if Tarantino would have done Gran Torino, we would have got that ending that we've always talked about, where fucking Clint Eastwood shows up with, like, you know, the, the, the Asian boy and the pastor, and they just fucking have this ginormous fucking shootout, just because that's, like, sort of what you want the movie to end like. And I think it's, like, I, I love how Tarantino's doing that, where he's just... He's given you, like, the best ending you could possibly want for a movie. You know, he did it in Glorious Bastards, does it in Django Unchained, does it in Hateful Eight, you know what I mean? And does it in this movie, too, where it's just, like, it's, like, exactly what you want the ending to be. You know what I mean? Like, the realistic ending would have been, like, oh, these, like, dirty hippies come in and they end up murdering all the characters you like and they get away with it because that's just how real life works. Not in fucking this vision. (laughs) Well, the whole thing is also meant to be, like, well, this is meant to be kind of a... Hollywood fairy tale to a certain extent. And the fairy tale, everything, everyone lives happily ever after. <laughs> Except for the fucking hippies. <laughs> oh, don't fucking matter. <laughs> They're fucking dead. But it's like... It's, it's most- just funny to me because those are real people and I think that... I'm not sure <laughs> if they're all still alive, but it's just funny to me just being like the idea of like... Oh, they're making another movie about you guys. Like, oh, fuck, great, again. I mean, I don't, I don't feel bad for them at all. Fuck them. Yeah, fuck but those people. I, but the idea of they're just like, great, another movie made about us. You guys get brutally murdered in it. Wait, what? <laughs> By Brad Pitt and, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Leo's But those Italian are my wife. favorite actors. Yeah, I know. He sets you on fire. Isn't that awesome? Well, that'd be like an honor, though. If Leo sets you on fire. Fucking. That's a glorious day right there. And then the dog, too. The, dude, the dog just fucking brutally chewing on those people. It's like, oh, it's so good. The dog is the thing. It wasn't really like even like Dakota Fanning's face getting smashed. It wasn't her falling through the ground through the glass it wasn't um her getting set on fire with the with the with the flamethrower that got me going uh what got me was the fucking dog because that just like that looks so fucking brutal and i mean i i'm not i wasn't looking away or anything but that part was just like <laughs> god damn it that's just fucking you're done you're done by that point yeah it just it was just it was like the ultimate like take that fuck you you know what i mean i i, I know that's what it's going for even like i like how the italian wife wakes up and she even like fucking throws a kick or a punch or something like that just like yeah and but and then she starts chasing her with the knife and she goes in the room and then all of a sudden the dog like goes in the room with the lady and I, from that point brad pitt just starts like painting the whole wall with dakota fanning's face more or less which that's a little that's a thing you want to think that the little girl from like from uh man on fire or uh um or um war of the worlds and just thinking one day you're gonna see her face just getting smashed against a telephone side of a fireplace just respect your fucking father (laughs) he's doing tom's doing everything for you in that movie well, that was the original ending for like Tom, for like Tom Cruise and uh, War of the Worlds. Him smashing like, sweetie, I'm trying to save us. Oh, Dad, no, sweetie, I'm trying to save us. Don't shut up. <laughs> Just smash, dude. If that was the original ending of the War of the Worlds, <laughs> the hood of the car, yeah, and then Dad. fucking kicks Goku out the fucking window and shoots him with a flamethrower. Kicks white Goku out of the door. <laughs> he just gets he kicks out the door like that. He's like tumbling, gets blazer blasted by one of those uh, tripods. Like, <laughs> oh, we're on we're on our way to a great movie right now. <laughs> that that would fix everything in fucking War of the Worlds. <laughs> but um, but no, dude, the ending in this movie is just. Just pure awesome. And I kind of, this is the other thing was I watched it because I didn't know if that was going to be the full ending. I was like, is this movie going to be one of those ones where this is like, like the ramp up of action and then we're going to go to like, in a sense, back to the, the ranch. And then I thought like, was there going to be like a, an extra, lo- maybe this is where the Bruce Lee scene comes in. 
And it's like, no, it, it just ends right there. And it's just like Brad Pitt goes to the hospital, you know, and then Leonardo DiCaprio goes up to Sharon Tate's house, be like, hey, neighbor, you never invited me in until I saved your fucking life. But uh, thanks. I'll come on up now. Well, they're just like one of those things where they because Emil Hirsch uh, is out there. He's like, I'll say this. Emil Hirsch is one of my favorite actors and I don't see him in that much stuff. So when I hear him, he's in a Tarantino movie. I'm like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Like, oh man, he barely does anything. Once again, he's playing a real life guy. And I feel like other than the hippies, a lot of the real life people, actually no, a lot of the actors got some fun stuff to do, but a lot of the um, Sharon Tate crowd didn't seem to have a whole lot to do on that. But um, he's talking to him. He's just like, how'd you take her out? Like, fucking flamethrower he's like you took her out with a fucking flamethrower yeah i had it in my garage was that after that one like world war ii movie like yeah like oh, that is fucking amazing <laughs> and sharon tate comes on like oh how would you like to come over for some drinks like oh, okay great and then from there and it's just kind of like i just killed these people not a big deal cops <laughs> <laughs> let me go it's fine and then out of that too which is super funny i think is well not funny but like this part was like okay he was early talking about like man i got the biggest actor and one of the most up the biggest um director almost up and coming stars at my uh right by my right living right next door to me and then he's like oh shit this might be a way in so it's kind of like it's not promising that everything's gonna go good for him from this point on but it's like oh well you know he might just you know he just made friends with sharon tate one way or the other yeah, exactly. So it kind of works out. You know, Brad Pitt will... He, just a flesh wound. He just got stabbed in the hip. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know? I was worried for a minute for Brad Pitt. I'm like, don't die, don't die, don't die. I know. That's what I was, too. I was, wait, I was waiting for it. It's like, and I, I kind of like that they gave those hippies, like, like nothing. It's just like, no, no, they're just going to take fucking abuse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's it. That, that That's all we're going to see here. So, so it's almost like one of those ones, like... I guess the thing is, if someone was a hardcore hippie, they probably would be, like, very, like, apprehensive of this movie. Well, if you're a hardcore hippie, you probably don't look towards to Manson as, uh... That's the one we should follow. Well, not Grateful like that, Dead. it's still, like... I, I guess it's, like, okay, it's, like, those are, like, the cult hippies or whatever. But I guess it's still, like, ballpark. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, oh, well, those are the people, like, you know what I mean? I, I feel like... If you just took those people out of that area, they might be like, well, maybe they could be fixed, you know? Like, you, you know how they would have thought about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I feel like this, this movie was made for, like, grandparents that were like, fuck yeah. Like, there's a line, I remember, it's like in fucking King of the Hill or whatever, where, like, I think Hank's like, the only time I ever saw my, my father, like, cry a tear of joy was when he used to take me to, like, the, you know, the Vietnam rallies. Be like, your, your, your father wanted to go to the Vietnam rallies? Well... He just loves seeing the hippies get beat by the police officers. It was the happiest day of his life. <laughs> I was just like, oh. Well, Cotton is one of the best characters in King yeah. of the Hill. It's blues. Yeah, no. And I think that, that, that see, that's the part where, like, like, the Cotton-type people would think that's the most amazing thing ever, seeing that scene at the end. Well, even that part which is like, you know what, Cotton? Well, no, well, even when Cotton dies, like... You don't deserve Hank. No one loves you, and you're gonna die. No one, no one loves you. And then he like smiles right before he dies. <laughs> <laughs> like that made him happy, knowing that. Exactly. But um, but yeah, you know what? I, this I mean, I think Once Upon a Time. I said Once Upon a Time in America. That's not the movie we're watching. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There, there's a whole lot of Once Upon a Time movies by this point. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's one of those ones that like I think with more watches, I think it will e- even grow, kind of like a Jackie Brown. Because it's almost like the same problems that you kind of mentioned in this movie were like sort of like the same way I felt about Jackie Brown at first. Because I used to go like, 
it's a good movie, but there's some scenes where it's just like it just lingers for like a long time and nothing really happens and so on. And then as time has gone on, it's like those scenes don't they seem to bother me a little bit less and less. And it's kind of like now it's just like I just love Jackie Brown to like the fullest. Mm-hmm. I hope that happens with this movie. And once again, it's not that I didn't like it. I liked it, and I'll probably own it just to complete my Tarantino collection. But it's not one I see myself <laughs> watching over and over. It's one of those things where I, I love, flat out love, love, love parts of it. And then there are parts that, like, you know, I don't, I, I feel like they're just longer than they need to be. But that's what, like, like you were saying, that's what you were saying about Jackie Brown about five years ago. So, who knows? Um... I still really recommend this movie. You know, just make sure that you don't drink any liquids before you go. Yeah, you you got good old like three hours of trailers to go yeah. through this bad boy. But um, but yeah, no, if, I almost kind of want to see it again in theaters. That's how much I got. I actually liked it quite a bit. Like I was, it's one of those ones like I really did enjoy. Like I, I do agree, there is some of those parts that are a little bit slow, but for the most part, like I don't know, it's just like. Yeah, it's not like a ton of stuff happens, and it is that kind of thing that you you probably got to kind of like movies a little bit more. Like I kind of, I do want to see like kind of what like a regular person's view of this movie is, you know? Because mm-hmm. if, if you go into it with like a historical likeness of like oh I like movies and so on, yeah, you're gonna like it you know a lot more than like someone who maybe isn't into that as much. But you never know, you never know. Mm-hmm. If anything, I just wish there's more Bruce Lee scenes. That's that's about it. Like that, that's all I can ask for in life. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe well, that dude who played Bruce Lee, he had him down like Mike Mo. That dude had him down. Dude, yeah, that guy was so dialed in and so on. Like just like and plus, because I think there is that time period where there is that Bruce Lee. It's kind of like the like douche Lee, I guess you would almost call him, where he's very full of himself and he knows he's the best. So he's got the attitude. Because I think that stuff kind of once he started writing all those books and so on is when he kind of becomes more like Bruce Lee, like the master type. Where mm-hmm. like oh, now he's like self reflective and so on. Mm-hmm. It was like around Enter the Dragon is when he started kind of pulling back. And plus, you know, he was an Asian guy taking a bunch of shit back in the 60s. And, um, you know, in a in a film industry that really wasn't too friendly to anybody who wasn't white. So out of that, I, I kind of get why. Maybe he was a little I got to prove myself, so I got to talk a lot of shit. And guess what? I got the muscle to back it up. So I kind of get why back then he would would have been like that. At the same time, though, as time went on, he had to become a lot more reflective. But still... Even this version of him is still just fun to watch. Just kind of like, he had it down to, like, you know, the pauses, the hand motions of him bringing his fist together. Yeah, no, dude, it, it was a real, for like, just like a momentary scene, it, it's really dialed in. Plus, it's kind of cool because it has, like, very little cuts in that scene, too. Mm-hmm. So, there, there, there's a bunch of good stuff there. I feel this movie will, will be only better with more watches so definitely worth checking out definitely a movie theater movie too i tried to see it when i was in los angeles like at like because it felt like it seemed like only right but you know not not always is there a theater nearby as much as you think there would be but um oh you know who this guy was this is gonna i just looked him up who the bruce lee guy you won't believe who he was who ryu in that street fighter uh assassin's fist series really yeah what? Oh, but that 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 only makes that like ten times better for me right now. That is fucking amazing. I was like, I, he looks kind of familiar, maybe other than the fact because he's Bruce Lee. But um, that okay, it makes so much more. Okay, I I want to see like. Well, see that that almost makes it. Like that goes to show you could do a fan made like Street Fighter movie, and next thing you know, you could be in a Tarantino movie. Well, this thing shot up in popularity since this movies came out, so good for the good for the Street Fighter thing. I hope they make another one eventually. But yeah. well, there's that second anyway, one that came um, out. 
There's a second one that came out. There's a second one? Yeah, it came out like look that one up. two years ago or something like that. And I was just waiting for it to be finished, and then it, like I never saw it come out on DVD, but I haven't looked it up in a while either. I'll have to, ch- have to check that. Yeah, but no, that may, that's, <laughs> he played Ryu. All right. Oh, that's just pretty sweet. But um, yeah, nothing but good times there. So uh, till next time, check out oldmanorange.com. More comics, podcasts, Pizza Boys. Pizza Boys issue eight should hopefully be out maybe by our next episode, maybe the second episode after that. I'm not too sure. We're, we're going to be cramming some stuff in there. We got, we got some Batman good times to be had. But um, go to oldmanorange.com. Find all that fun stuff. We'll put cool links in the description here. You can help support all that good stuff. Tell the now Spencer Scott Holmes. And I'm Ryan Dunnigan. We'll see you some other time. Later, folks. Thanks again for listening to the Old Man Orange Podcast. Sure, check out oldmanorange.com for more podcasts, cartoons, music, animation, and a whole lot more. We also have the Old Man Orange blog going with all kinds of fun stuff. If you easily want to support the show, use one of our Amazon links either on the website or in the description of the podcast below. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show either on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Newgrounds, or anywhere else that you seem to get this podcast from. Grab the sitcom-styled comic book Pizza Boys on either Comic Central, Comixology, or Amazon. Want more podcasts? Check out the Indie Comics Club over at Comic Central. I also got a workout website called Thor's Hidden Gym. Filled with fitness tips and tricks, videos, and a whole lot more fun stuff in the calisthenics world. Talk to us on Twitter, at Spencer S. Holmes and Dunnigan Ryan. Like our Facebook pages of Old Man Orange Productions and Pizza Boys Comic. Thanks again. We're out of here.